think we ran out of um, outlines for some people, so if you didn't get one of these outlines, will you raise your hand and we should have some, be able to get some to you? Okay. Thank you, guys. Anyone in the middle? Okay. Right, right behind you, Bert. Bert, right behind you right here. Anyone else in here? Okay, we got several more we need up here. Well, when you see them coming by, you raise your hand. Uh, okay, let me uh, let me pray, and then we're gonna gonna dig into this. Father, we thank you for this day. Um, you are our God and our Savior and our King, and we are so thankful for the way that you lead us and direct us. We thank you for this passage of scripture and just our topic we've been studying with uh, spiritual warfare and your your war and how you lead us God and into battle and triumph so we are so excited to um, to be able to piece that together and and see what wonderful information you have for us and how you're equipping us and preparing us for living in the world that we live in here in Jesus name amen um, so I I think the uh, the, the title's pretty pretty simple, and I think it's pretty important. And you could summarize the whole last book of the Bible this way, and that it's basically we win. Um, you ever done something, and you already knew ahead of time maybe you were going to win? Uh, I used to watch. Uh, sometimes I watch a ball game, and it's a it's a relay, it's a, a replay, and I already know who wins, and I don't get I don't get stressed out at all. If I mean if. If my team doesn't win, I don't want to watch the replay. But if my team wins, I just watch the whole game, and it's like I'm not stressed even if it comes down to the final play. It's like, all right, we got it. And really, as Christians, that's how we ought to feel. When we read this book and we go to the end, and it says, it really just says we win. We're going to win. We're, we're going to be victorious because of what Christ has done for us. We're on the right side. And so that ought to be really thrilling and I want to I want to talk a little bit about that if you're heading into a highly stressful and extremely difficult situation would it help to know that the final result will be everything you are hoping for and even more and that's what we're going to talk about today if you are on the Lord's side we win so I want to begin by looking at how um, we're, we're in the middle of a series on spiritual warfare and we're looking at our enemy and how he works and how Satan attacks and so there's these we believe as Christians in a spiritual realm and then there's God and on the other side it's God's great enemy Satan and everything kind of comes down categorically into one of those one of those two settings you're on God's side or Satan's side and it's very important that if you're on God's side you need to know something about the other guy you need to know if you're a, um, a a sports coach, especially high school and above, there's pretty good pretty good chance that if you're going up on a big game, you're going to watch film. And sometimes coaches will literally spend up to 20 hours just watching film. They're not playing, they're not stressing, they're not exercising, they're just taking notes. They're watching the enemies. Goes, well, here's what they run on this at this in this situation. Here's what they they usually go here on third down and ten or they go they do this if they're um, here's their inbounds play if it's basketball or this guy always drives to his left or his right and so you study because you are much more uh, equipped and sometimes Christians never think to do that 
They never think, the man, I need to know what Satan's up to because he's my enemy and he's trying to take me out. And therefore, that's what we're doing in this whole thing about spiritual warfare. Now, today what we're going to do is I want us to see uh, how God, how Jesus Christ is victorious. And that's the primary thing we win. Keep remembering, if you get lost in some of this other stuff, keep remembering the main, the main point I was trying to stress to you is we don't need to stress. Uh, is because we don't need to stress out. We do need to stress this point. Um, is that we, we win because we've aligned ourselves with King Jesus. That's how, that's how you win. You align yourself with King Jesus. Okay, so, but we, we also are going to look at the book of Revelation in terms of uh, two things, how it depicts Jesus, and then we're really kind of taking a look at our, our enemy, uh, Satan. Okay, so the entire book of Revelation is written that Christians might know that we win and Satan is crushed. Um, and obviously you need to read the book because it promises blessings to you. If, if God says, do this and you'll be blessed, then I'd recommend doing it. And one of the things he says is read, the, read this book. Read the whole book, the whole Bible. But it, there's, a, there's a blessing attached to the last book of the Bible that some people tend to avoid. Um, but it says in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy or reads this book. And blessed are those who hear and keep what it is written. For the time is near. So it's like you want to be blessed. And one of the things you can do is like start reading but read the last book of the Bible and you'll, you'll be blessed by God. He'll teach you things and show you things. Also, at the very end of the Bible, at the very end of this in chapter 22, in verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel. Jesus sent an angel, a messenger, to testify to you or tell you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So he's like, I've also, I've written it for the churches, for Webster Baptist. How about that? This was for us. And, and, and Jesus says, read this, and it's going to really help you in this battle. So the first thing we need to see is Jesus in Revelation. And by the way, there's no way I can read all these scriptures. I'm not going to try, but I gave them to you because that's your homework. It's, it's for you. Like You read it. You take this and you go, man, this is awesome. This is a great little, he wrote everything down for me. It's like my own personal cheat sheet right there. Okay, so that's what my goal is. You can go back, but let me just tell you about what the book of Revelation says about Jesus. He is a hero and the star. He's the star of the show. In the um, beginning of the chapter 1, he says, um, Grace to you and peace from him, from, that is Jesus, who is and was and is to come, like he's eternal. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, ruler of the kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, with every knee will see him and those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. And that type of language rolls through the whole book of Revelation. It keeps referring to all these different ways he's described, but he's the hero and the star. He's like the main person. He's the main character. It's all about him. And he's the object of endless worship. I don't know if you're like me, but... Some of you probably share this same uh, love that I have. I love, I love Revelation 4 and 5. 
I love the picture of the saints worshiping God in this beautiful picture and they're just bowing down before our Lord Jesus Christ and they're worshiping like you have never seen before, like you've never experienced before. Whatever you've experienced, like that's just a taste, that's a sweet taste. Some of you, I'm sure, you have the experience sometimes, you've been in worship and it's like you just felt the presence of God and it was speaking to your heart and you were, you were praising God and you were kind of oblivious to everything going around you because it was such a sweet moment and you felt like you could draw close to God, can I suggest that's just a fraction of what you're going to feel when we're there in this audience? And we're just bowing down, and we're in, a, we're in total agreement with, like, Lord, you are worthy. You are. We are here because you shed your blood for us. You worthy is the Lamb. Can you imagine standing before the Lamb and bowing before the Lamb, telling Him how worthy? We do it now, and we, we bow before Him, we give Him our praise, but we can't see Him like we're going to there. And when we're there, it's just going to escalate. It's just by multiple factors, by infinite um, in, increasing. Just We're going to just be so into it and just going to be so real. And you're going to have the ability to feel and love and worship in degrees in, in a perfect setting and a perfect you. A perfect you giving Him what He's worthy of. For the first time in your existence, you're going to be able to actually give the Lamb of God the glory that He deserves. I love that picture. And He's worthy. That's the point of the, last, the, point of the final chapter, chapters of the Bible, is that He is worthy of all that. It come to the end of world history, and what are we saying? He's worthy. He's worthy. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait for all opposition to be crushed, the people who deny that He's worthy. And we get to be there as believers and tell Him, how worthy He is. So He is the object of endless worship. And He is the eternal King born of woman. In chapter 12, and I could have picked any chapter probably, but I just picked this chapter to go along in our, our study because um, it just seemed to fit for me. Again, I could have picked any. Uh, but it says here in chapter 12 that there's a great sign. So John has this revelation from God and in this vision he sees a woman. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon, under her feet and her head, a crown of 12 stars. So the, I think the 12 stars are probably representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's this woman who represents coming out of the 12 tribes of, of Israel would be the, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so she's going to give birth. It says she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. That, that's Satan. And so it's a picture of giving birth to the Messiah, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory. And Satan is infuriated and he despises the one to be born. And then he spends his entire career, his entire being is focused on undermining, destroying those who worship Jesus Christ, um, trying to knock Jesus out, trying to take him out when he's a baby, trying to take him out when he's a teenager, trying to take him out before the cross. He's always trying to take him out because he knows that Jesus spells doom for him. It says, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems, like seven heads with seven crowns on them, ten horns. And that's when you hear that language, it's usually describing like nations or kingdoms, kings. And so there's a series of world powers and they oppose, they're, they're under the reign of Satan and so they oppose Christ, they oppose Jesus' people 
And then it says, uh, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. He hates the Son of God. He hates the people of God. So she gave birth to a male child, the one. like who? How do you know which one it is? The one who's to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, act, that's Psalm 2 fulfilled. Many of the Psalms, who is going to rule forever and ever. The prophecies about Daniel, one king would eventually get on the throne. He would rule forever and ever and ever. Who is that? The only one. There's only one who will rule forever. Forever means no one else gets to rule. And once he's there, he rules forever. Who, who could that possibly be? That's our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that um, he wanted to devour Jesus when he was just a, a child, a baby. He tried. And she gave birth to the one who would sit and rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up uh, to the God and to his throne, and, and which is actually where Jesus is now. Um, but he still opposes. So Jesus is the one. Eternal one, born of woman. Jesus is the rider on the white horse. If you keep reading in Revelation, you come to chapter 19, and we're, we're heading into these great battles, and there is one rider on a white horse that's superior to all others, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the rider. He's the general. He's leading. And then there's other, other um, soldiers, um, tons of soldiers, and they're on white horses, and they're also going into battle with Jesus, but they're behind him. Jesus, Jesus is leading us into battle and leading us to victory. That's the one the revelation is saying. Do you, do you see him? Do you see him? Do you see the one? We win. We win because we're on his side. We win because we're with Jesus. We don't win because we do anything. We don't do squat. We win because we take sides with Jesus, and then we just carry out his orders. We do his will. If we do his will and we walk with him, we have inside of us, then, then we can go so excited to see the Lord Jesus leading something we're doing, leading. It's like, Lord Jesus, are you leading our church? Are you leading here? Are you leading this effort we're in? Are you leading this mission work? Are you leading this Bible study? And where Jesus is leading, we can look forward to victory because he is the one who leads all and eternally and in finality. He's the rider on the white horse. And then he's returning soon. In Revelation 22, 7, he talks about that he'll be returning soon. And so there's this beautiful picture through the whole Bible culminating in that last chapter of the Bible just escalates and elevates this intent, the intensity of the, the war that's taking place from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And it says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It's like, keep this book. Keep this in mind. Store this in your heart. Study this book. Know the, know the end, okay? It's very important. as you Wherever you're at in history, you need to know the final outcome. It's that we win because we have chosen Jesus as the captain of our, our ship. He's the captain. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the one we choose. We have rejected Satan. He's no longer my general. He's no longer my Lord. He's no longer my master. I have rejected him, kicked him out of my heart. I am no longer loyal to him. I, my loyalty is to Jesus Christ, and he wins. And so that's what this last book about. So let's see, what does this last book have to say about his great enemy, Satan, and Satan is the red dragon who wants to kill the Son of God. He was defeated in heaven and thrown to the earth. He is the accuser of God's people. You ever met him? You ever met the accuser of God's people? You ever come under his accusation? He accuses you and he says, you're worthless. You're nothing but a druggie. You're nothing but a, a, a slut. You're dirty mouth, filthy minded. You have no business. Why are you at church? You ever, ever been attacked at church by the accuser? He's like, what are you doing at church? Who do you think you are? You did this. You did this. 
and he, he draws on your past and he starts accusing you. He accuses you. He's a liar and he accuses you. He brings up what you used to be. Sometimes the devil accuses me and go, you're right, I was that, but I'm not that. I'm a child of God. I was, I did have a foul mouth and a dirty mind and I was all interested in everything. Well, you're right, that's what I used to be, but that's the problem. My Lord Jesus whipped your tail on the cross. Like, you're nothing to me. You, what, you're just making up these, these accusations. That's who I used to be. And my Lord Jesus defeated you. And so we get to point to what we used to be and say, but Jesus, my Lord, is in me. So I am a child of God on the basis of what Christ has done, where he defeated you. You remember, devil? You remember that old cross where you got defeated? You remember that cross? Let's talk about that old cross where you got defeated. He said, I don't want to talk about the cross. I want to talk about what you used to be. We'll say, well, thank God I'm not what I used to be. Okay, and so he's defeated in heaven, thrown to the earth. He's the accuser of God's people. He is furious and impatient. And verse 12, it says that he is running out of time. So the devil is anxiously, aggressively asserting himself. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war and the rest of the offspring. Um, and he, it says that he's, uh, uh, verse 12 says, the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. You ever had to do something and you start getting frantic because your time was short? Like getting to church this morning? And you're just trying to do something and Satan's like that with his mission. It's like, man, I'm running out of time. He's like, he's, he's watching, you're watching the clock to see when the pastor's going to end, but he's watching the clock to see where his, his existence is going to end. He's like, man, I'm running out of time. The clock is ticking and people are still coming to know the Lord and, and I need to take out as many as I can. And he's, he's anxiously trying to take you out and he's trying to take your friends out and he's trying to take people out everywhere. He's, he's, he knows his time is short. So he's furious and impatient. And number five, he makes constant war against those born to God. He hates you. He hates you. Do you know that? The devil hates you. But you know what? You didn't know he's hated you before you became a Christian. He doesn't love his disciples. He hates everybody. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't care what side you're on. He doesn't love you. Some people say, oh, but I don't want to be a child of God. That doesn't sound very good. It's like, well, there's only one other option. It's that you remain a child of the devil. The Bible makes that very clear. There's only two. There's only two sides. You either serve Lord Jesus or Lord Satan. And some people act like they think Satan's good to them. Satan's not good to you. He will spit you up and chew you out and kick you in the gut. That's what he does. He teases you and says, oh, come over here and I'll do this for you. And then he smashes you. That's what he does. He's a terrible, he's a terrible ruler, terrible leader. And he makes constant war against those who are born of God. He loves to use religion to deceive millions. Do you know he's, religion is like right up his alley. Satan loves to use religion. I, I, I told the early church, the earlier group, that I, I've recently watched some of these um, documentaries and stuff about these these horrible uh, occultic type or churches that some of these are like massive churches there was a, um was watching one last night and there's like ma or friday night and it's like massive church in south america there's like five million people that have different places around the world they have these enormous places of worship and um and then you have things like i don't know have you ever you seen the um have, have you ever y'all seen pictures or some kind of show about Islam when there's zillion people circled around Mecca and they're all there and it's like they're all bowing down and they're all in this big circle around 
and there's scores and scores and scores. How do people get into that? Who's behind that? And then you, go, you read about, the, I don't know, you, you go to the state of Utah and, and half the states worshiping, uh, they're Mormons and they don't worship Jesus Christ. They don't worship, they're, but they're very religious. They're very religious. As a matter of fact, most of them, we got a lot of college kids in here. You would have to skip a year or two of college. You got to go do your Mormon service. They're very religious, very religious. And then you have other groups and they're very religious. Satan loves religion because he can twist it. He can, there's something inside of people. We like religion. We like religion. Religion's cool. It feels good. There's something in the very way and the fabric in which we're made that we're searching for something, searching for something. He's glad, more than glad to put a substitute out there. He'll, feel, he'll make up something. You want a religion? You can start your own. He's cool with that too. Or you can join one that's already in existence. And so he's very religious. He tortures Christians and throws some into prison. In, in chapter 2, he, said, he told the, um, one of the churches in the seven letters of the churches, he says, well... Um, be ready to be thrown into prison. That's one thing. He tortures people. Is there's people all over the world. So I, this morning I discussed how um, we know that every single day, every single day in the world, someone is giving their life for their faith, and they're not going to deny Jesus. It's like, no, I'd rather die than deny my Lord. Because if I, they say, what? Why would I deny him? He's been so good to me. He died for me, and I don't want to deny him. And so there's people. Someone said they looked it up on their phone while they were in here. I said that and said, they, they came up to me and they said afterwards, said the number's 15. I said, 15 what? Said, you said people die. He said, that, that when they looked up, how many people die every day for their faith in Christ? They had 15. I said, well, that's probably way low because 15's the report. I bet there's more than that. And there are places in the world where people die every day because they love Jesus and they're persecuted. And Satan will do that. He'll persecute. He'll torture, he'll throw people into prison, he'll bring suffering. He takes control of entire, entire towns, cities, territories. territories. In Revelation 2.13, it describes um, uh, he's describing to one of the churches that they lived in a territory that was very strongly influenced by satanic power. Okay, um, Uh, verse 13 in chapter 2, it says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. In Pergamum, he was telling them, you know, Satan's got a pretty strong hold on Pergamum. Have any of you ever felt like Satan has a strong hold on your town? You ever felt like Satan has a strong hold on your dorm or your house or your business or certain part of town? You're just like, well, man, it's dark. It's dark in there. It's dark. You ever been somewhere on a mission work and you've gone to another country and you're like, man, it's dark. It's dark. You ever been to a place that was so dark you could feel it? You could almost taste it. It's like, man, I don't know. Something's, it's not, something's not right here. I don't feel real comfortable. I don't feel real safe. You ever been in a dark place, morally dark, and you felt it? You could just feel like this, I don't know, something's not right. Something feels evil. I, I, don't, I don't feel real good about being here. And you just start praying. You say, Lord God, I feel like I need your protection right now. And that's very real. And there are places, and Satan gets strongholds, strongholds in cities, strongholds in towns, strongholds at, in uh, certain places. He can get a stronghold somewhere, and he, he's, at, he's all about that. And the Bible says that's what we're wrestling against. There's something behind the something. And you say, oh, they're just bad people. And so, well, what's behind all that? And that's when we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not just the physical. There's stuff behind the physical. 
And there are, in the realms of principalities and rulers and powers, there are spiritual forces. There are forces behind people. And that's why sometimes there can be forces behind um, their entire governments that are forceful. I mean, why, why would a government like uh, communism embrace atheism as their theological stance? Where does that come from? Why even bother? If you don't believe in God, why bother with it? If you really didn't believe in God, why tell everybody, just go on? The very fact that they take a stance against God, you can't take a stance against God if there isn't some, if there isn't one. And it's like they're, it's kind of telling on, they're kind of telling on themselves. We don't believe in God. Well, why do you talk about it so much? And this a spiritual reality, and Satan is is working in that way, and and he places stumbling blocks. And it was interesting as I read through the book of Revelation yesterday. I read through the book. And I was reading through the different chapters and I kept coming across, it's like constant coming across. Um, idolatry and sexual immorality are like top, top two. Maybe they're the top two. They're the things that Satan, like he pulls that out. Idolatry means, that, that's our, that, these, are like, these are top two in America, I think. What's the biggest problem we have? Worldliness and sex. I mean, so much goes back to that. It's like worldliness means I love something other than God. Uh, idolatry is loving anything more than God. Man, I want that truck. I want that car. I want that phone. I want that girl. I want that job. I want that money. And your heart just gets pulled constantly, constantly. He's constantly promoting something that you can chase this with your life. Chase that. Run after this. Run after that. Next thing you know, our hearts are just like we're all looking parallel, no more vertical. Everything's horizontal. I want this. I want that. I want that. And God's like, look up. Look up. And Satan's like, no, no, look over here, look over here. And he's distracting, and distracting, and distracting. That's idolatry. He's like constantly giving you something to love, to want, to chase. And then um, sex gets into everything. I mean, you can sell chocolate bars with sex. Look at the, they use everything. You know, it used to be commercials on TV. It's like, mm, use this wax on your car and you'll get the beautiful blonde with it. Like what? Everything was about, and now that I look back and you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, your Bible's so blunt, it's what I love about it, it's just so blunt. It says, hey, we have a problem with attraction, and it'll ruin your marriage. It'll ruin your, your high school years. How many people have ruined their high school years? Because of this sexual addiction, this sexual, it's like, hey, do this, do this, and, and guess what the world says? It's cool, it's so good, it's fine. There are, do you know that there are parents, maybe some of you have parents like this, I hope you all, not many of you do, but there are parents who kind of give you a little nudge and it's like, man, go have fun at college, boy. Go get you some. It's like best days. And it's like, what, Dad, what? There are actually parents who want to encourage you to have fun like they did. It's like, it ain't fun. It's fun for a moment. It's a mess for a lifetime. And God says, I don't care what you've done in the past, let's change that. Because it's not been good for you. And so that's what, we don't, we don't come to church to tell you and to get on to you and say, well, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, uh, and, and call you out. What we do is call you up. Call us change, okay? We're not here to talk about what you did. We're here to talk about what Jesus did for you and what you, how you can live differently. I think, I want to I live differently. You want to live differently? That's what God's saying. Live differently. It's better. I've got a better path. The world told you to do that, and guess what? You got hurt, didn't you, girl? So, oh, you want to be popular with all the guys? Give them your body. No one said, that's not going to work. 
It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you. They're going to leave scars and wounds in your life. And, and you're going to make some decisions. And people don't tell you those decisions are going to hurt. People don't tell you the very thing that everyone says, go do that, that's fun, exciting. It comes back to haunt you. And it's like, no, it leaves a terrible, bitter taste. Next thing you know, you've got scars. And you're like, man, how come no one told me that side of this? Because the devil is behind it. And he's just trying to lure you into these things. Now, we're all hurt people. Okay, we're all hurt people. We've all made mistakes. That's the point. That's the one thing I'm confident that we have in common is we have all messed up royally. There's nothing, I always say there's nothing but messed up people go to Webster. So if you got your act together, please go somewhere else. Because we only let messed up people in here and only messed up people can come. Okay, because messed up people are the ones that need Jesus. And that's where we come in here and we find Him. But the whole point is Satan's behind the mess up and he lies to you. He's lying to you and tells you that's a, a good way to go. It's not. So um, he is Abaddon and Apollyon. Abaddon's the Hebrew word. Apollyon's the, the Greek transliteration of, of um, a, a Abaddon from the Hebrew into the Greek. And he's, sending, he's pictured as sending troops from the abyss, Revelation 9. Like these troops, he sends out demons Workers, his workers, his army. He blinds the unrepentant so they continue to worship demons. You know, the Bible says that all worship to idolatry is demonic. And that's what's behind it. He at times appears to have the upper hand. You ever feel like he has the upper hand? You know what, if I didn't have this book, I'd feel like he has the upper hand. If I didn't have this wonderful book, I'd be thinking, man, we're, we're toast. We're always behind. It seems like we're always behind. How come... How come, you know, there's even, there's Psalms. The psalmist goes, how come they, the bad guys get all the good stuff? And the Psalms that sometimes say, how come they prosper? Why do the wicked prosper? And they're like confused. It's like, Lord God, I serve you, and I'm not prospering like they are. They, they, get, they get the good jobs. They got it easy. They're, they got good health, and I'm over here suffering, and I lost my job, and I've got cancer, and I got this going on. And, and sometimes if we're not careful, we, we get the idea that's like the devil's winning. He's not winning. God's just waiting. God's working. He doesn't have the upper hand. He gives great power in the world to evil empires. There's, there's whole empires. He writes 666 on people's hands and heads. And that's what it says in Revelation 13. It says maybe on their right hand and on their forehead he writes 666. Now, I don't know if he's going to write literal 666, but can I say that he just loves to put signs any kind of sign he can find on you that says, oh, you belong to the devil. He just will put any sign on you he can. It's like, you know, people sometimes think little symbols and things are funny or not a big deal. No, they're a big deal. And we have to make sure that we don't put any of Satan's symbols on our body, on our clothing, whatever. It's like, no, I don't want his symbols on me. I belong to the king of kings. Like, I'd, rather, I'd rather be known as one who follows Christ. Let, let what I put on me honor Christ. And we have to be careful because sometimes people don't realize that they're doing certain things and maybe they've maybe they align themselves with something that's not holy and not right. And Satan wants to make people think that everybody's going with, with him. Everybody's going his way. So anyway, okay, so that's like 14 things. And let me just read these next ones. This matches how he's described. Through the rest of the Bible, you'll find the same stuff. He's crafty and seductive. He tries to get believers to curse God. Um, you ever wanted to curse God? 
You ever been mad and you want to blame God and you want to curse God? Well, that's what Job was a strong believer. And that was his goal. Lord God, you let me at him and I'll get him to curse you. You ever felt like someone was like trying to get you to bail out on God? Like, man, why are you a Christian? Why, what advantage is you? Look, you're over here. You've got, you just broke your leg or had a car wreck. What good is being a Christian for you? And they're trying to convince you to walk away from Christianity or curse God. Or, and you're like, no, that's not of God. He will try to seduce anyone, even the Son of God. Do you know what's happening in Matthew 4 when Jesus went out of the wilderness? The devil is trying to seduce the Son of God. You don't think he'll try to seduce you? He was seduced, trying to seduce the Son of God. And some people say, oh, I'm a Christian. He won't mess with me. Well, what was the Son of God? You don't think he'll mess with you? He will gladly mess with you. And he will offer you the world. That's what he was doing. He says, Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross. I'll give you the world. And you know, Satan does that to people. He offers people the world. He says, hey, you want success? Come on over here. I'll give you success. I'll help you out. I'll, um, I'll give you a, that raise, that job. You just worship me. You follow me. You cheat like everybody else. You do this. like He basically says, sell your soul and do something that's dishonoring to God to get success. And you're like going... Oh, what's, what's the harm with a little of this and all that? And you know what he's doing? He's tricking you. He's like, do things my way, and I'll, get, I'll see that you get ahead. Go ahead and cheat and lie and be involved in scandal and, and hurt people and do these things. And you think, see how the wicked prosper? And the wicked do prosper. They do prosper in this world, and that's the lie behind it. They think they're getting ahead, but they're not. And it's Satan um, trying to make them do things that are are wrong and make it sound like they're going to get ahead and he's like a hungry lion who's looking for a meal and his favorite meal is Christians he will attack your mind he's a master of disguise the Bible says he'll come like an angel of light he'll he he wear he'll look so good sometimes sometimes he'll look scary sometimes he'll look beautiful sometimes he'll look like whatever whatever you want he's a master of disguise he can even dress up like a preacher or a worship leader or your best friend or whatever he he'll he'll put on whatever he, he needs to to try to trick you he's a liar and the father of lies he's a thief and wants to steal kill and destroy he can get into your head and make you think or do something totally against God's will remember when when Peter said hey Lord um probably I'll not go to Jerusalem because I think there's a lot going on there and you might get killed and Jesus says Get behind me, Satan. You know, you know why he said that? Because he was saying that thought is not from God because the thought from God is I've got to go to that very cross to rescue you. I've got to go there to lay down my life because I am the Lamb of God. I have to be sacrificed to save your soul. And that thought of him not going to the cross would have kept everyone from going to heaven. Everyone would have gone to hell if Jesus had not gone to the cross. And so Jesus said that idea, Peter, came from the pit of hell. And he says, get that behind me, Satan. Get that thought out of your head. Satan got in his head. You remember the time David counted Israel? And the Bible says that Satan incited David to count Israel. Like Satan got in his head and said, hey, it's a pretty good idea to count the nation. Even though God said not to, why don't you do that and brag about how big your armies are? And the Bible says Satan incited David to number Israel and disobey God. So some, you ever get stuff in your head and you're like going, when, where did that come from? Sometimes you think, oh, it was just a bad thought or whatever. 
And sometimes, but you need to say, you know, Satan will do that. He'll put thoughts in your head and say, you need to do this or you need to do that or um, don't pay attention to certain things. And that is, Satan has that ability. Um, he schemes and strategizes. He works in the power structures of the world. He is skilled. He's very skillful. He can put a thorn in your flesh. In Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, it says that he had a messenger of Satan to cause him pain, a thorn in his flesh. Uh, he can attack your body. You remember in Job chapter 2 where Satan attacked Job and it says that he had sores. Satan caused him to have physical affliction. And he can, he can do that. Uh, he le he's the leader of the great rebellion. He is the prince of demons. He sends demons to attack, enter, even dwell in people. He steals the gospel message right out from under people. You remember the story in the parable? Jesus is teaching the parable about the gospel goes out and there's four different soils. And the first soil was the one, the seed, the gospel is this, like considered a seed. And it goes and he spreads, he shares the gospel and it goes out. And the first one hits the ground. And as soon as it hits the ground, a bird comes. And then the interpretation of that is, he says, yes, and that's Satan. That Satan snatches the seed. Do you know that there are people that come in here week after week after week? And when I strive to preach the gospel, Satan comes and swoops it down before they get out the door. Some people come in here and they feel a little something for a moment. And they go, nah, maybe that's kind of true. But before they, can, before they can grab hold of it, he's got it. He's like in your head going, no, that's stupid. No, those Christians are, you don't want to be a Christian. Like, that's boring. Or, oh, they're all uh, Pharisees or they're all legalists or, or they've made that thing up. There is no God. And before you know, Satan has entered your head and stolen the gospel news from your heart. And the Bible says Satan will do that. He will swoop in so fast that you don't even know. And you're just like, I'm tired of going to church because there's nothing to it. And you're hearing the truth of God and it's being scooped up before it can go from head to heart. It hits here, you give it a thought, and it's gone because Satan is like, you've got to say, Lord God, you've got to come in here and you've got to start saying, Lord God, as soon as you hear the truth of God, you've got to say, Lord God, open my heart to hear your word. And don't let Satan come and steal it away. And if you're praying for someone, my friend, you've got a, Christ, you got a person that's not a Christian and you're praying for them, it could be that Satan is scooping it up. As soon as you scoop, as soon as you tell him he's scooping up, and you just got to say, Lord God, would you, would you help this person? I really do think Satan, Satan's snatching that before it can even get hold. Will you help him? You pray, you start praying for your friends and say, Lord God, Satan is in this because I am sharing the gospel with them and they're not interested. So can you help? Can you intervene and begin to work in this way? And then he works in harmony with your sinful nature. I, I've thought a lot about this over the last several days and I think, man, we've given Satan a lot to work with because we were all born in sin. You know, people will say things like, oh, um, I'm lesbian because... I was born this way. Well, my friend, so was I. I was born with a sinful heart, sinful desire. I was born with lust. That's not an excuse to sin. It's just where it came from. We're all, that's like, that's no different than someone, when, when someone wants to blame a sinful, if someone wants to say that sinning is okay because I was born with certain stuff, folks, I was born in a depraved nature. I just love sin. But that's not an excuse. I'm not going to go to God and say, Lord God, I was born to the prey part. He says, I know. And that's why you need to cry out to me to be saved. He's like, that's not an excuse for me to go sin. I don't have an excuse to go on sinning. He says, I sent my Savior. The, the thing he's going to say, then why did you reject my son? Why did you reject my son? I, I was born with all kinds of lusts and desires, and I lived the first 15 years of my life going for it. 
Charles 15, I met the Lord Jesus. I spent the first 15 years of life thinking, man, I want to grab all I can. I want to satisfy my desires. I want to uh, feed my flesh. I want to be happy. I want to, I want to enjoy everything the world has to offer me. I, I, my strategy was, and I, I use this phrase a lot, I wanted to minimize pain and maximize pleasure. I didn't, want to go, I didn't want to get caught because that could be painful and have consequences, but I wanted the maximum pleasure. So my, my goal every day was how can I have as much fun and pleasure without getting in trouble or making it cost me in the long run. So my goal every day was to uh, minimize pain and maximize pleasure. And now I have a new goal. And that new goal is, man, I want to, I want to live and enjoy the life God's given for me. And so, but... If you look at Galatians 5, it says we have all these things in our sinful nature. And then it con contrasts with walking in the Spirit. And it's like, well, the Spirit of God begins to work differently. So if you're thinking about becoming a Christian and one of your concerns is, um, man, i got all these things I like to do as a non-Christian, then the good news is, is Jesus, what, what happens is Jesus changes you. And He begins to put new desires in you. And suddenly you, you actually start liking going to church. And actually you start liking reading the Bible. And you, you start liking different music. And all of a sudden, you know, when I became a Christian, I listened to some pretty raunchy stuff when I was 14, 15, 13. Pretty raunchy stuff. And it started changing. And I became a Christian. It's like, man, I don't, I don't want to listen to Kiss anymore. I don't want to listen to Nazareth, Hair of the Dog. and um, There's lots of songs that I used to listen to. It's like, I don't want to listen to those anymore. And I started listening. I go, ah, oh, I never paid attention to that before. That's pretty disgusting, actually. That's talking, wow, that song's talking about raping women. I was singing it along. And, and God began to change me. So let me just finish. The overwhelming number of people in the world do not realize which side they're on and the consequences they will experience. So when Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 and he preached the gospel, and guess what the people were saying? Um, they were saying, what shall we do? And his answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus. So you're in here and you're going, man, that devil sounds pretty bad. What should I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus. That's step one. And then God wants you to hold your ground, fight for souls, and carry out his will for your life. And so it's, um, that's what Ephesians 6 says. It says to put on the whole armor of God and stand against the schemes of the devil. So Christians, that's what we're here to do. And then... Satan and his army will never start, stop trying to defeat you and will try to make you ineffective and cause you to question your position in Christ. So what do you do? Resist the devil and draw near to God. So when you feel Satan seems to be getting to some kind of stronghold or uh, affecting you, then draw near to God. Just stop right there and say, Lord God, I just I want to be close to you. I feel something right now that doesn't feel great. Lord, I just want to be near you. I just want to draw close to you. And, and then it's like, resist you begin to resist these things that you know before you didn't resist you just went with it and now you're just like going I don't I don't want to do that anymore Lord will you help me you draw close to God and you call out to God and then always um, this is the last one keep the back of the book in the front of your mind the back of the book is revelation and the victory that we have in Christ and keep that in the front of your mind always be thinking always remember the back of the book it talks about Jesus Christ as being the one who reigns and rules so the last thing I want to say is I, I want you to think about where you are. And I want to offer, today I'm going to give some of you the opportunity to change, change sides. And the gospel says, come over here with Jesus.
And that's what I want to offer you. If you're not a Christian, then Jesus is saying, come over here to my side. Are you tired of being lied to, cheated, misled, um, abused by Satan and, and the world and the way it will treat you? You want to be loved and treated? Then Jesus says, come over to my, come to me, come unto me. And that's all he's saying, come unto me, come to my side. And that's what I want to offer you this morning. The cross is where Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sins. And salvation is when we believe in that, that Jesus. The one who loved us and died on the cross to pay for our sins. And salvation comes when you say, Lord God, today's the day that I renounce Satan in my life. And I give myself to Jesus. And if you would like to do that today, I want everyone to stand, please. But if today is a day that you're ready to change sides, maybe you didn't even know you were on a side. Maybe, like, maybe you thought of yourself as neutral. There is no neutral. There is no neutral. There's two sides. And you have to literally make a decision to change sides. You can't forever be inquiring about the two sides. You can't say, well, there's this side. You are on a side. And the first thing you have to do is you need to recognize which side you're on. And if you recognize this morning that you're on the wrong side and you want to change sides, then Jesus is calling you right now and don't let Satan steal that seed from you right now as I'm summoning to you, you may come unto the Lord and be saved right here, right now by changing sides. And changing sides says, I take thee, Jesus, to have and to hold through death and we will never part. And that is the vow of marriage to Jesus Christ. It's when you say, I take you, Jesus, into my heart to be my Savior today. I change sides. And if you want to change sides today, then as we sing this final song in your heart, simply say, I take you, Jesus. And before you leave here, I want you to tell someone that I've changed sides. I change sides. Call upon the Lord and you will be saved.